<laughs> we're back here again after five. We have the pleasure of a guest today with us, uh, Jonathan, of course, uh, Greg Offner. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I guess we'll just kick it off right right off the top. Like, do you have any social media or anything like that that people should uh, write down or we'll hit at the end again? Yeah, man, absolutely. I'd say probably the easiest way to find it all is through my website, gregoryoffner.com. But I've got Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the all the usual suspects. Nice, nice, nice. So we connected, I don't know, definitely before the the vid, the Rona, cor- Corvid, whatever you want to call it or go by. But um, tell us a little bit about what you do because i kind of told jonathan what i he actually did, have I'm but he, he looked at me and he was no like idea what's going on what what and i was like yeah i know you don't get out much like i knew i knew what was going on but g- give us the rundown well, wait i want to know how you described it to him that, that that garnered that reaction i was like i was like well you know you know what like a rap battle is right like you've seen email i was like well imagine just pianos <laughs> in a nicer bar and probably, you know, a little bit friendlier people sitting around you. So, yeah, I, that's, that's the genesis of how I got to do what I do now, which is work as a disruption creativity expert. And I use my dueling piano background in the delivery of keynotes, workshops to keep it interesting and help connect the message with music. Because if you think about books that you've read, it's rare that you can recite a passage verbatim from many of the books you read, but most of us can recite miles and miles of lyrics from our favorite songs. So there's something about connecting a message with music that really helps the topic resonate for people. I got into the dueling piano world after I left college, uh, just sort of happenstancely. A friend called me one night and said, my friend's dad is opening a piano bar. Do you want to come down the city and check out the grand opening? I said, yeah, sounds like an awesome idea. So I showed up. And you could play piano at that time. Yeah, so I went to school uh, for music, thinking I wanted to be a music teacher. And about a year or two in, I just didn't like where the education profession was going in terms of income opportunity, status level in terms of, you know, how parents respected or didn't respect the role of a teacher and what the classroom situation looked like. I went to military school, so my high school experience was when the teacher told you to do something, you did it, or you probably did (laughs) push-ups. So, like, that was completely different from the experience I had when I did my first couple practicums in college. And I thought, you know, I'm either going to quit, get fired, or get arrested because I would bring that military mentality and attitude into the classroom. <laughs> not so, so I started looking for an alternate career path. And, and in the course of that uh, search, found philosophy, psychology, and was fascinated by those two disciplines, you know, how people think and how the brain works. And so coming out of school with a degree in music, philosophy, and psychology, you know, you can imagine there were like no jobs lined up for me. There was nothing to do. I was working as a personal trainer at a gym. Um, so... I reached this point where I decided I uh, wanted to do more than eat ramen noodles and like live in the same house that I lived in in college with with, with a roommate and got turned on to this job in sales. And so one night I'm at home kind of going through prospecting, getting ready for the next day. And and my friend Billy calls me and she goes, hey, this piano bar is opening. Do you want to come check it out? So I said, yeah. Came down to the bar, had a couple drinks. Maybe an hour or two in, uh, her friend's dad comes over and says, hey, I hear you play piano. Do you want to get up and do a song or two? I was like, yeah, why not? Let, let's do it. A so couple after, drinks. After yeah. the, the liquid courage, right? Of course. Yeah. So after a few uh, songs, he, he came over and said, do you want a, a Wednesday night shift? And I thought, yeah. So it was Wednesday night happy hours, how I got started. 
And I went to work the next day and I told my boss, I said, look, I'm not quitting. This is just a side thing, but can I get out a little early on Wednesdays to work at this piano bar? And I think he was fascinated and confused because he also wasn't <laughs> sure what I was talking about. Like, so he goes, yeah, as long as you keep, you know, your numbers up. Sure. Go for it. From uh, what? Physical training, right? No. So I got fired from that uh, job. Oh. Yeah. So funny story there is that uh, the girl that I was dating in college my senior year was an actress. Okay. Uh, so I was in the music program uh, studying philosophy and psychology uh, as well. She was in the musical theater program just doing that full tilt. And she had an opportunity to go up to New York and audition for a show. And I no-call, no-showed my job at the gym. And they were like, you're you're done. Like, Just see you later. Yeah. So I lost that job. Her mom uh, was so pleased that I was like willing to like go the distance to help her daughter out that she helped me get this interview for this sales company. Oh, that's what okay, they worked okay. for. Yeah, yeah. Processing. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of kind of weird how how it all started. Um, and what are we talking about? Piano bars? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so so, when, so you, on Wednesday on Wednesdays you go and uh, yeah. So Wednesdays I would go and I'd I'd, I'd play this uh, happy hour shift and then that turned into like a couple Thursday night shifts and you know the big money nights are of course Friday and Saturday nights when all the bachelor bachelorette party birthday parties come out you know corporate parties things like that. And I worked up to that, uh, but in 2009, so this is like 2006, 2009, my company asked me to relocate to Toronto in, in Canada and take a take a larger role within the company, a regional management role. Went up there, started working at a piano bar on the side, one of the most well-known piano bars in all of Toronto called the Madison. Um, shout out to if you have any Toronto listeners whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Drake, <laughs> Drake listens. <laughs> He's from Toronto. In, incidentally, so well, this is a show. He was on Degrassi before he became a rapper. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's a bar and a restaurant up in Toronto called Jack Astor's. It's basically like Canada's version of TGI Fridays. Jack and uh, so we're in Jack Astor's down in like the financial district, and the girl that I was with goes, "That bartender was Drake's co-star in Degrassi." And it was just this real interesting moment for me. Like one person went yeah. here, the he, other his, person was going and drinks it. He went from here and went down. <laughs> Jeez. So, yeah, so up there working at a piano bar, came back to the States uh, shortly after, like, the financial crisis kind of ended um, and wound up getting into dueling pianos, which is slightly different from regular piano bar work. Regular piano bar work is what, you know, when you think of, like, Billy Joel's song, Piano Man. It's one guy behind a piano in and a we're smoky singing. bar. Yeah, we're all singing. Exactly. Right, we're singing Journey. Dueling pianos is two pianos, generally three piano players that rotate, right? So, like, two will be playing at one time, then one will take a break, and they, and they switch in. Um, and the whole goal is not actually for the piano players to duel. Like that's the biggest misconception of, of that whole industry. It's the duel is between the audience. So, so let's say you're in the army, right. And you're in the Navy. Cause we always get like a good army Navy crowd in Philly for the game. So we'd start playing, um, the army, uh, fight song, right. Caissons go rolling along. Right. So, and, and then the Navy guys would go, you know, that sucks. And they'd come up and they'd want to hear anchors away. So like he'd pay five bucks to get us to stop the song. Well then we'd do it, but we'd keep egging the army guys on while we're singing your song and get them to come up and pay 20 bucks to stop the song and then get you guys to come up with 40 bucks to stop the song. So by the time we're done one five minute song, we've convinced y'all to give us like a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> so that's really the duel. Like, like the effective okay. dueling penis, like they make you give them their money without making you feel used and they actually, you know, give you a great experience to walk away with. Yeah, so they don't just like throw the jar up on top of the thing and you just like put the extra like five bucks in there as if like someone we'll make sure that it's a glass jar so they can yeah. see the couple bucks in there because if you use a metal one they'll be like what's that metal thing on yeah there? like there's a whole in the in the service industry in the performing industry there's always a you know an ask 
But you, you know, that's with every business. Yeah. Well, and it's pretty, it's pretty transparent too. You know what I mean? It's uh, I don't think a bartender's ever walked up to me and been like, you know, here's your here's your beer. That'll be uh, you got a tip for me. But at the piano bar, if you come up with a, a request slip that doesn't have something green and presidential on it, you it it will be known. I mean, they'll <laughs> they'll call you out pretty quick. <laughs> that's that's cool. So you did that. I guess that explains the, the dueling pianos. You can't really make a living doing that, though. Can well, you? Maybe you can. Well, you can. Um, so it's interesting. I did that always on the side because I had this sales job, and I, I, I didn't ever think I'd be a sales professional, but I did pretty well at it. Ironically, I didn't even care about it. It was one of those things that if I could have found something else to do, I would have done it. Right. But I fell into this role, and within the second year, I was – at 26 years old, making six figures, I was like, wow, okay, I hate this job, but I love <laughs> this money. I mean, this is awesome. And, and at that age, what do you have to spend it on? Girls, it's like stuff, right? Like just stuff. You don't really have bills at 26. You just do stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And the older I got, piano was sort of that thing that I loved doing. And sales, although I continue to excel in, in the financial side of the career, I mean, I, I wish I could show your listeners like a chart. Like as as my income went up, my my fulfillment level just continued to dwindle and go lower and lower and lower. And it's because of this principle in psychology they call the hedonic treadmill. You just habituate to the normal. Like people right now are in the middle of COVID, right? People are just kind of used to being at home. And now people are actually getting to the point where they're scared of going outside because they've been at home for so long that this is their oh, new geez. normal. So that's, that's, that's the fear, shit. and that's some science. That's not bro science like we're yeah. used to. That's we're, see, we're used to talking about bro science. Like, yo, man, how how long does it take to make a habit? <laughs> Thirty days. Yeah, how many days do I have to do push-ups in a row? Twenty-two days. I've got this. Day one. <laughs> These motherfuckers. They've been at home for you know four months at a time. They're gonna forget how to work. I was talking about that with somebody today. One of the uh, one of the site guys on one of our sites. He's like, you know, they were digging, putting in a, a grinder pump that pumps sewage. And they were talking like a lot of their friends, a lot of their operators are at home getting unemployment. And they're just like, yep, we're making as much money. We're not going to pretty much go back to work until mm-hmm. they make us. And if that happens, I mean, we're going to, yeah. So, yeah, so mean, what's it called? I've hedonic? Hedonic? The hedonic treadmill. Okay. Yeah. Hedonic I'm going to sound treadmill. really smart. I'm definitely going to use that. I'm going to use that on yeah. this. Yeah, look it up first because there's too many people going around repeating stuff. They don't, <laughs> <laughs> they don't know. I feel, I feel like sometimes when I go on Facebook now, it's like, oh wow! Kudos to you, you guys. You're you're pulling out those SAT prep words. <laughs> you haven't you haven't used that since the eleventh grade. You had to look that one up. Like you're just like, oh damn. Well, guarantee you, you'll be in a conversation and drop the hedonic treadmill, and someone will be like, is that is that a Peloton product? Is that, I think I just saw that advertised on my Instagram feed. Yeah, I just picked up the hedonic treadmill. You know what I'm saying? People will be like, what? I could actually get away with that too. I yeah. could say that people yeah. would be looking up. <laughs> I could sell it. Hedonic yeah. treadmill. Just try it. That's see if anyone calls you out. <laughs> Tomorrow it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. What should I, what should I work out with this morning? Should I work out on the Peloton, the treadmill, or the hedonic treadmill? <laughs> Just give them two choices. <laughs> Just give see them two choices. See what they say. <laughs> so uh, so currently, um, so dueling pianos, sales. Are you still in the same sales job now? Same company, same. No, I, I I left the W two world in June of 2019. Um, and I went full-time as a speaker, consultant, and coach. And uh, funny, in, in some of our Facebook groups, there are always new speakers that come out, and they say, one of the questions that's always asked is, what do you wish you knew before you became a speaker? And last week, I was just really feeling kind of 
pithy, and I just said, uh, fucking COVID-19. <laughs> really wish I knew this was coming in June 2019. <laughs> exactly. Would, that, would, would this, um, yeah, because this is going to affect you as, like, a speaker, or at least you're going to have to pivot. Well, it's hard to speak to an audience and get them to come <laughs> to an event. I don't know. I think I it's harder to get people to pay online to watch, like, a Zoom call or whatever you call it, whatever platform you use. Because when they go to a place, inherently, they're going to feel more value mm. if they I, travel. Like, if they put the effort into it, like, okay, this $100 ticket, or I don't know, you know how you make money in the speeches, but this $50 ticket, I'm going someplace. I'm, I'm around people. I feel the energy. How can I captivate that energy now that you're, like, you know, you're sitting behind a cool background and you got all the, the home studio stuff like you were talking about blow, earlier? You got to blow it out with, like, editing and music, content, content, and that's a flashy question, stuff. That's a question a lot of these event companies are asking because for some – Half of the value of that ticket is that I get to go somewhere for a couple of days. I yeah. get to get away. My company's paying for the flight. Yeah. You know, if, if you got kids, maybe it's a couple of days you get to sleep in a little later, sleep in, you know, do the big X in a king size bed without, you know, pissing anybody off. So it's for some, there's a lot of value just in going to the conference just to get away. For others, to your point, it is that experience of getting to see people in your industry that you don't see all the time. Some deals get done. The whole point in going isn't the information. It's to proximity, yeah, right? Around other people like-minded. Um, and, and the challenge that you brought up about Zoom is that when you think about most of the Zoom calls and the, the webinars that you've been on, like, what a what a disaster. Oh, Treachery. Mute thing. your phone. Can you mute your phone? Like, come on. Oh we're all adults. We were, talking about we, we were on a conference call the other day. It was like four people. If you're not speaking, mm-hmm. mute your phone. Isn't that common practice? Yeah, well, you, it should be, right? It should be. But speakers are now, in, in my industry, having to figure out, what do I do? Because if you're at a certain price point, folks will not pay expecting that they're going to get that Zoom quality call. They want to expect that they're going to get a Netflix special quality yeah. production. Yeah. So you've got to have good demo stuff up on their website. I mean, so if you go to my website, GregoryOffner.com, you will see demo videos that look like a Netflix special. So you, do you feel like you're ahead or behind on the curb on, on, on moving that along to the new norm? I think I'm ahead, but I'm not trying to be cocky about it because I think I can lose it like that. I mean, it is. You just got to stay ahead, right? Yeah, you just have to keep, keep working pushing. hard. Backgrounds, change up the backgrounds, cool backgrounds. Yeah, we mix stuff up all the time. Lighting. I constantly, people are like, can't you just stick with one format? I'm like, why? Yeah. It's my show. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Like good cameras, right? You're right. It's like, really just a you high don't quality see, production. You don't want to see yourself in like this little tiny thing. I guess it's the platform. I guess a good platform is is also might be more what you want. It is. There's a, there's a webinar that we had uh, in, in uh, this association I'm a part of like two or three nights ago, and there was this question about can we get folks to pay for uh, webinars for, for for virtual events and the comments that several people made which i wholeheartedly agree with is that they're not paying for our programming they're paying for the result that our programming delivers for their people yeah. so people aren't buying my speech they're buying the result of what happens when their people hear my words hear my methodology about dealing with change about getting creative about disruption and it thankfully i made the choice that i did in june 2019 had i not I absolutely would have been laid off at this point from my from from my job, and you'd be in, starting in from scratch. I'd be yeah. starting from scratch in one of the worst economies for someone to buy a speech. You know, I caught the tail end of this, had a ton of momentum coming into the break here, um, and I fully expect to crush it as soon as we start getting back to a place where people are, are making decisions about programming. 
Shit, people can't even watch like a Netflix shit movie anymore without getting bored. They're talking about fast forward uh, watching Netflix at like one point five speed, like twice. Like <laughs> I would do it all day long. I can't get through unless the movie is action packed. People are shooting people. Everything's exciting. You're well, that's your, what. Well, that's edge of your seat. Slow movies for me. I'm out. I can't. Comedians I stack their performances or their specials up. Yeah. In the beginning. Heavy now. They use their closers at the front of their Netflix yeah. specials because they, they know that if they don't knock you dead in the first five minutes, you're not going to watch 15 mm-hmm. minutes. And if they don't catch you in the 15 minutes, you're not going to watch the 30. And, it, yeah. and you, they lose you between 23 and 30 minutes. Anecdotally, we see. Even if you have an hour. there's they Even the big guy, like Chris Delia, all those guys, they're like, mm, 30 minutes. I know everybody's gone. Yeah. Netflix pay me. Yeah, my wife and I. So we sat down to watch a movie the other day. We sat down. We started flipping through. Took forever to figure out what we wanted to look at each other. We're like, all right, we're just going to bed. You know, it's just no one has time. Like, who has time to like sit down and watch that? So, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be hard, but there's definitely you. Said, you definitely seem like you're innovative and you're kind of on that edge. It's I think it's got to be like a conditioning of people to get them conditioned to take info from. Because when I hear a webinar, if I get another email about a webinar or an event or info from like. The yeah, you know, I you know we belonged belong to a lot of builder associations. Mm-hmm. The webinar, this webinar, check in on Wednesday. Check in on Wednesday at five. Like, I'm dude, like, I'm sp- not sp- doing spam. that. Yeah, yeah. So it's just I think it's a condition. We've been conditioned that webinars have been like the root of all evil for years, but, but now it's the only way to capture the actual. Well, and to your point though, it's value. You know, uh, yeah. we, we were talking before. I think we hit record about how. Anybody can be a thought leader now. You've got YouTube. You've got, you know, anybody can start a podcast. Anybody can put stuff out there. Anybody can write thought a book. Thought leader. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard that one before. We were speaking about that with um, a f- our friend Francis the other day. I, I was like, everybody has a voice now. Like, before you used to have to, like, get a bunch of people together upset about something before anybody would listen to you. And now it's like, you can kind of seemingly if you look at like the narrative it looks very like volatile from people talking but it's only like a few people but like with like social media like facebook and instagram like everybody has a voice now. but if you're like a true professional at it and can up the production level like you know he's talking about then you're not just like some dude on instagram spewing whatever you're spewing you actually have a purpose you have a you're providing value that Hopefully they're not going to hear from anybody else. Yeah, but I could argue that's like um, the webinars and everything are like secondary or tertiary in your process. Like you're capturing, you're capturing your audience. You're building a relationship with these people, and then you're hosting the webinar. Like you wouldn't to like do the you, degree and the value and the information that he's he's handing off. Like he's not like like you're not just like oh oh. Gregory's talking today. Like, you're just like, oh, Greg Hoffner, like, I'm subscribed to him. Like, I know him. I value his intellect. Like, I'm – so, like, I think – like, he reached out to us, built up a relationship with me over several weeks online, speaking via email. And then now we're here on the show. After I was like – I checked him out. I was like, I was like, this guy – you know, I vetted you. <laughs> Checked you, you out. Do, you know? Do you do the? Web- I'm assuming you, do you do the webinars live. So most of the time, I'm hired by an association like the Home Builders Association, okay. um, ABC, yep. um, BOMA, something like that. They'll hire me to come and speak at a spring conference, a young leaders conference, uh, an annual event. And now, a lot of that is moving online. Right. Corporations will hire me for kickoff events. Um, 
even lately because of the piano work that I do, some organizations have approached me and said, look, we, we love the messaging on disruption, but we feel like our people are just Zoomed out. There's 10, 12 meetings a day on Zoom. Would you mind just getting on at like 530? We're all going to have a bunch of beers and like we can play piano and sing and have a good time for an hour. Yeah. So the way people find me, although that progression isn't wrong, it's just a little bit out of order. They actually find me because I'm brought in front of them at an event to talk about the methodology of making and managing disruption and how to think creatively about making those changes and, and making them last is, is the more important part of it, making the disruption sustainable. Um, and then they go, I really like the cut of that guy's jib. If they're like 90, that's what they say, right? Or they just go, hey, that was a cool guy. <laughs> jib. <laughs> we, we got a sailor. <laughs> there is a lot of disruption right now happening, yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I think being able to navigate that in the future is going to be tough. That's why I was like, I was like, this Dude, we're having, I was like, Greg's, I, I was he like, does talks about disruption. Disruption's going on. This is perfect. Office space disruption, workflow disruption. Twitter just announced today that any employee that doesn't want to come back to work to the office never has to. Mm-hmm. What? Per- permanently. They can work from home permanently. So, like, but that, like do you those think are like, serious. I guess. How's that affect those areas that are like, heavy employment areas like like silicon valley like is silicon valley going to be the next detroit that that food truck guy's probably wondering where he's gonna move his food truck to next mm. thank right? god he can drive it yeah so that's the well, i mean that. hopefully it runs yeah but but most of the center city <laughs> industries and restaurants like even downtown philly new york like all the steakhouses they have a huge lunch crowd huge business crowd that stuff starts to go away i mean that's it is you're right it could be it could just completely morph cities into something else. And well, and you're seeing two or three years ago, like uh, the death of the suburbs, right? Like workspace brought up a lot of, what was it, liberty properties, office complexes in the burbs, and folks yeah. are saying, well, everybody's going back to the city. Well, everybody's trying to get the hell out of the cities now. <laughs> it's good. So it's, it's especially in real estate, it's always ebb and flow. Yeah. You know, with that but, disruption. But yeah, but with any disruption, you, let, let's take COVID aside, disruption has to have a catalyst usually, right? Yeah, you have to you have to like for either force a catalyst, I would say it aids it, or it aids it, enhances it. But you have to have some sort of event to dis- start to disrupt. I don't we, know. Is yeah, it, so there's right? there's there's two things that inspire any change, inspiration and expiration. Okay. So you either want to or you have to. Okay. Okay. Now the challenge becomes: Does that change last? So there's change that happens all the time in our lives, right? We wake mm-hmm. up, we go to sleep, we eat, we eat again. There's there's change that's always going on. Change is sort of a very generic word, but disruption is a change that sustains and sets a new standard. Like, now that Uber is here, we're never going to go back to calling a phone number to get a cab. That's never going to happen, right. right? We're always going to have something new that comes. That mm-hmm. was The disruption wasn't Uber per se. It was how we get what we want. Press of a button on the phone. That's it. It was just easier. Right. So... The challenge for us as individuals becomes we generally wait until we have to to make a change. And then we don't always get to choose how we go about making that change because our back's up against a wall because the doctor said, if you don't drop weight, you're going to die because you're unhealthy. The bank says, hey, if you don't figure out a way to pay this mortgage, you're going to lose your house because your finances suck. Your spouse and, at that, or your and at that time, it could be late, right? You, you right. Don't make choices. You're not preparing. Right. Can, can someone take like the the negative of the two options and like turn and pivot so it, like it's more of like their choice rather than like I think cuz yeah. like right now every everybody might feel like the conditions are being dictated to them mm-hmm. but like we still very much feel like we are dictating a lot of our own conditions like we definitely acknowledge well, that I think what you're saying is inspiring on. is kind of like that like inspiring is 
you're inspired to do it before you have to, before you're, you know, you're forced to do it. You, the sooner you can figure out how to do it and, and make that change on your own, the easier it is to prepare for it. So you just kind of have to see the expiration line. I don't know. We're talking about this guy's expert. No, no, no. Too, you're 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 talking about really interesting stuff. I was just trying to understand it because he sounds yeah. like he understands. He did. <laughs> <laughs> that was me being. We're dumb. just trying to keep up. <laughs> so you're talking about you're talking about making change, and yeah. you're talking about managing change, right? So we're talking about two separate things, yeah? Because this this pandemic wasn't something that we had to worry about creating. Mm. It's not something that well. The three of us in this room couldn't necessarily have prevented it. Right? Definitely from, not from, me. From, Definitely not me. However. Yeah. What you said was so prescient, was so important because it's how it's the perspective that we bring to this. It's how we look at the change. Someone said, I saw a meme going around that said, you're not stuck at home, you're safe at home. It's a very simple but important perspective shift. Whether you agree with that concept or not, the point of it is yeah. it's a perspective shift. The wor- like, So you, you just change the wording so the perspective is in a positive sense rather than being the trapped negative sense, which is stuck versus... Right, but it's not just the wording because words don't have meaning until you get. So if you think about Shakespeare said, "There's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so." Mm. Right. So what that basically means is, and I used to use this in, in an old keynote. If I put a picture of Donald Trump up on the screen, invariably there's going to be people in that room that look at that picture and go, "Oh my God, freaking make America great! I love this guy. This guy is uh, the, the best businessman I've ever seen." Right? They love him. There are people in that room that look at that picture and go, I really can't stand that guy. He's everything wrong. He's all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. The picture is the same. It's the meaning that each person gives to it. So the situation is what the situation is. But you and I, everybody listening to this, we have the control that we have as, as human beings that no other species on this planet has is we can look at something and decide what it means to us. Is it the end or is it an opportunity to find a new way? And that's, that's really the value that I think a lot of folks are are having a hard time with right now, implementing in their lives, because it's not really taught in school, this perspective shift. Unless you go after it, a lot of this information isn't actively taught and given to, to kids. And it's the biggest change agent in anybody's life is, you look at anybody who's successful, they've had terrible things happen in their life. It's called post-traumatic growth, right? Yep. Instead yep. of post-traumatic stress, it's post-traumatic growth. They chose to choose, they chose a more valuable perspective. That's the differentiator. That's what I try to get people and companies to, to see and to do is that change is going to happen whether you want it or not. But what you can choose to do is look at that change in a way that empowers you. Mm-hmm. Man, heavy. It's good. Yeah, no, that's, I, I like That's it. a great way to say it. <laughs> I needed that. I feel like I just feel like I just went next door to this guy, a weight guy, and I feel much better now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Greg I, might come, I guess, come by here a little bit more often. I, I guess what we've been, you know, what we've been doing is one: when someone tells me to do something, the immediate reaction I have is like "fuck you," mm-hmm. right? Like I don't want to do what you tell me to do. Mm-hmm. I've always been like that. So if someone tells me to stay home, I'm like, all right, I'm just staying home. If someone tells me to go out, I'm like, all right, I'm staying home. Right. Yeah, it's like the way they're going about it. If they yeah. were like, hey, that's I, – I, I tried to explain that to someone the other day who it was not important. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not it, – like, I don't have a problem with staying home. Yeah. It's that I'm being told to. And we're – like, us as, a, like, human beings, like, if you told me why I had to stay home. And gave you facts. And gave me facts and reasons and let me reason for myself and it was truly threatening – 
you better believe I would stay home. Right. There's no question. But they're they're but they're, they're like you need to stay home because they're unclear said. for the for the date. The date is very unclear for a variety of reasons. They don't want to like spark panic. Collection they don't errors. Yeah. They don't like people are like they're, they're not talking about the right infra- like everybody's got their perspective on that whole mess. So it's kind of like I don't know, like do I stay home? But like I, I guess the perspective we took here as a company or like we spend a lot of time together. It was just like, hey, it's here. Like yeah. we just got to keep going. Like we got to work. Like, like, like it's just not like there's no like we changed up our days a little bit at for for a little while. Like we weren't working. I mean, we we we, we, we took the opportunity and we actually canceled a a big development that we're gonna do. Our biggest development that we would have done, you know, since we've uh, been in business. Um, it would have been you know seven to ten custom homes in one community and we uh we just ixed that we just nixed that ixed ix, nixed? nixed we nixed that completely altogether um with the idea that nobody has a clue what this economy is going to look like in a couple months right mm-hmm. i think they're finally you know and i think the stock you know, is finally trickling through but they're starting to get some bad data now that okay maybe maybe the companies on the stock market are doing well because a lot of those companies can transform but maybe the information on the ground is a little worse right than it should be um and I, there's just a lot of unknown so as a company we just took the thing like we can only control what we can do we can only do the jobs that are presented in front of us and we just had to react and do a good job of what we do and that's it like you know other than that i mean you can't you can't sit at home and complain about it or anything you know you just gotta do yeah i'd say too i'd say you actually chose to respond it's a really you know we talk about the difference between words like mm-hmm. It's the people that react that are the ones that are having the hardest time with this because yeah. they haven't thought, well, what should we do? What are the courses of action we can take? When you went through that whole exercise, what you did was, in a way, you took fear out of the equation and you focused on what can I do? So that's not only a perspective shift, but it's taking power back. Yeah. That response that you did. I give so a lot of cre- that credit of the fear to Andrew because Andrew's always, I was, you know, I, I, I got lost in the Twitter world for a long time. Like the Twitterverse. I, I went into the Twitterverse <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. You ever hear OJ say that? No. OJ Simpson's on Twitter and he's like, oh, hey, Twitter world. <laughs> like every day he's like, and we're going to talk primarily about sports on here, Twitter world. <laughs> like it's just so good. You have to check it out. But. Yeah, so no, you know, we were able to then disseminate information that was coming. It's like, okay who put out this article and why. Mm. And then once we started to realize that this whole thing's getting really politicized against whatever medical reason there is, you know, then that was kind of like the deciding factor. Okay, we need to respond to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm definitely not like I, – I definitely do not consider myself a skeptic. Um, I definitely don't want to be considered a, like a, that skeptic. I think it's a real, it's but realist. I'm just like – he would just present me with information and I'd be like – that sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd look at me and he'd be like, what the hell is your problem, man? And I'd be like, can you send me the article? And I'd look at the, like, I was like, dude, this article has no sources. I was like, somebody just typed this up and posted they it to their blog. Like, I was like, and somebody put it up on Twitter and he'd be like, all right, give me my phone back. I was like, this is my phone. Your phone's over there. Like, yeah, yeah. But like after a while, like, he he started probably doing it on his own. He's like, all right, all right. But there, I mean, there was there was validity to what we were seeing to some degree. Um, but I just like was just like I was always just like, well, well, who's saying what? Like, let's like, do we? Let's not freak out quite yet. I mean, we'll fr- we will freak out when the time comes. We'll freak out hard, <laughs> but not yet. Just 
take a little bit of time. I still think we all need a little bit more time. The other thing that's going on that's that's curious, not really, or just I think about is a lot of times like recessions happen quickly in the in like the historical sense of like a century or two centuries. Like oh, it happened over a couple months or but a like, couple years. Like the last one took. Six years, three years, and then had a catalyst. Mm-hmm. This people could see that. Like I was writing, I wrote papers in college about the crash, like right before it happened. I was like, "Look at all these houses that are stuck out." Like, yeah, so that, that was like, like it was being like talked a, about. That was almost like a lead up, like the economy, 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 economy and then it crashed. Uh-huh. This is like the opposite. It happened in two months. It crashed, and now we're like, "Where's the economy? Where's the economy? Where's the, like before?" You always question where the economy is before the crash. Right, and then you're like, oh, there it was. Now it's crashed, and now we're asking, where's the economy going to be after people go back to normal? But then they keep saying when things go back to normal, I don't want think what... Well, Greg's uh, also saying that people are adapting to these conditions well, yeah. and our, our, our normal, new normal will be I different. New I know, but when they say, like, what's going to happen when it goes back to normal or the new normal, I don't think that they're... they're we'll say people start the, com- the coming out. They're given too much credit <laughs> to... The fact that life will go back to the same, and it won't. It'll be completely different, I think. So there is, a, there is an article that was posted on Medium, uh, an opinion piece by a filmmaker. Uh, the name escapes me, but it was Prepare for the Great Gaslighting is the name of the article. And what it basically said is there's an entire engine, right? So if you go back to the concepts of, um, of marketing and Edward Bernays, right? Edward Bernays was this famous propagandist and marketer. In fact, his book called Propaganda is probably like, the most Who's seminal. That? Who what was his name? Edward Bernays. Bernays. Ed, Edward Bernays. Like the sauce. Yeah, I was just going to say. And so like he's, he's actually a relative of, um, oh, damn it, Netflix founder, Mark um, uh, Mark B, anything B, his middle name is Bernays. So the it's, founder it's his of like uncle. Yeah, the founder of Netflix. So, um, so there's a whole machine of marketing, and, you know, you've seen it probably with Toyota. And it, it's like, you know, when we get out of this, a new Toyota is going to make you feel better. Right. When we get out of this, this is so we've become this consumer economy over the last several years. In fact, I just was telling you about this. I finished a book uh, before we started recording. I finished a book called Destined for for War. And a lot of the comparison is about the U.S. and and China, that China is now a rising economy, a rising world power. And we're sort of TBD at this point. We're at a very critical point in our in our country's, you know, next 50 to 100 years. Yeah. And one of the things that. that they. We were just talking about that. Like One of the things ago. that they that they cited in the book is they said, look at what the countries did with the bailouts in 2008. China and the U.S. both had a fairly similar sized um, stimulus mm-hmm. package of I think China was like 600 billion. Ours might have been 800 billion, or vice versa. China built friggin' cities, factories, in days. cities. They built so much infrastructure, yeah. and we had orchestrated stock buybacks and this thing and, and we that have thing. Potholes. And, and it's it's just it's a mess. So our, you know, when you talk about the new normal and sort of where we go from here, yeah. I think it's it's important that we not exhibit the same um, American amnesia about how we got here and how we get out of this. Um, and this pause, if you want to call it that, this great pause has hopefully given people time to think about priorities. Yeah, I definitely am a big believer about we were consuming so much materialistic crap. At least what I can see. Everyone's just buying and buying and buying. Andrew, maybe not. All right. Me, a lot of people I know, looking around, it was just a consumer economy. You were buying things to buy things because it was cool to buy, mm-hmm. right? 
doesn't necessarily mean it was. And important. it's at every level. It's not it's just a, at the at the at the. Yeah. It's it's you know people just what do we do today? Let's go to Walmart and buy some shit. Yeah. It's just, it's it's just, let's go let's go on Amazon and order some yep. stuff. Packages after packages were coming and coming. So for me, the reset's been all right. Well, we actually don't need any of that, mm-hmm. right? We need clothes, water, shelter, and jobs, mm-hmm. and everything else should either be for like some sort of survival. Or some sort of enhancement to what we're doing. And that's it. Right? We don't need all that, you know, we don't need the toys, the stuff for the kids. I, I just, you know, I just think it's been really good. And hopefully you can carry, we can carry these principles through it. I can only talk about, you know, I'm not an expert or I don't read studies and shit like that. But I can only talk about, like, why, you know, what I can do. Right? And I'm assuming what I do can be some of the other people in the world as well, like in our economy. So, I don't know. Well, I think it's a really the good people reset. that are doing what you're doing, you know, that are business leaders, that are leaders in, in local, state, and, you know, the, the national economy, at least here in the U.S., um, really start to exert their financial influence to make this country a better place. I mean, you see, uh, maybe you saw in the news, I just saw this before walking in here, several, um, maybe it's 50 companies joined this pact now to basically pressure Congress into including in the new packages that come out, these stimulus packages, a plan for the environment to the tune of like these companies represent $11 trillion in economic power and over 3 million jobs here in the U.S., uh, large organizations. And they've just banded together and said, guys, we're sick of this shit. You got to figure out the carbon thing. Like we can't go back to the way things were. And I think we need, you know, we we need need more of that. It's younger people though. You got, Elon Musk, young. What a power move he pulled in California. Dude, he dropped his nuts right on the table. He was <laughs> like, back down. I'm leaving. Away. I'm leaving. He goes, you know what? We're going back to work. I'll be on the line. If any, you're going to arrest anybody, arrest me. Nobody. You know how tall Elon, Elon Musk is a formidable. He nobody would, he came. Would, you would not want to fight him. Nobody came. He's a pretty tall. Like They went on producing those Teslas like it was nothing. The beauty about being Elon Musk is you'd never have to fight him. He'd have like 19 bodyguards, like, you know, like the crazy eights, like Kill Bill style, just like ready to oh, whip ass. Oh, for sure. Like, like the people on his team, like when you look, when you turn to their like CIA profile, there's just like a silhouette. There's no picture. That's what I would They're know. just unfaced. He's like, they're like, who is on his security team? Nobody. They're just like, nobody's known. Nobody knows. That's what I want to know with Bill Or Gates. it's like the Austin Powers team. Where it's all just a bunch of weird ass people, <laughs> like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Like they, you know, they seem like kind of clunky, dorky people. But like, you never see like off camera wherever Bill Gates goes, there've got to be like eight, ten foot tall dudes that just could like fill a room with their shoulders, ready they, to kill people that came after him. It, yeah, he's gonna need probably was, twenty now. <laughs> it's always fascinating to me those like he's not leaving security. his bunker. For well, a long time. Well, you I was saw the dude from the Cowboys. The owner of the Cowboys is on some like Jerry Jones. Yeah, like like three football size long yacht. Yeah, yeah. He, he took yeah. the he took the ocean route. Yeah. So Corona doesn't like, get in the water. Yeah, I think he has a couple <laughs> of those boots. Yeah, that's a ship. That's yeah, on a yacht. That's yeah, you a can ship. really tell who was the power move because they they left and went to a whole another country or sovereign nation that they created. No, mm-hmm. biggest biggest power move of all time was Dana White fight island (laughs) did you hear rogan announcing he was like and now the winner to no crowd (laughs) like announced that like no one was cheering he was taking like stories on instagram and just being like 
like making faces like what are we doing here like everybody's yeah. like that dude's like 20 feet over here nobody's in the crowd it's loud as hell but there's echoing because yeah, there's yeah. nobody to absorb yeah. it it's pretty crazy that was a big flex uh who do you think had the like? I think that was a really big flex. Elon Musk had the biggest. We should do flex of the week. Elon Musk. Elon by far was flex of the week. Huge he goes, flex. I'm gonna take goes, my whole corporation they, they, they that had, makes the coolest car they of had the century. News, and news camera crews counting the cars in the parking lot and going back and look at historical satellite footage, trying to figure out how many people. And what they realized was there was as many people in that factory that when they. The day after he said that, than there were before the thing. Like they were in full operation mode. Yeah, he was on. They, they were talking about like when he went on Joe Rogan, and then Joe Rogan had like a joke after the fact that he was speaking like with Brian Callen offhand and was like, "Hey, when we talk with Elon, it's like it's like an adult talking to third graders. He has to be <laughs> like, I'm going to talk to you guys now, like about <laughs> science." <laughs> like, <laughs> No, we we actually talked about the last podcast because we tried to compare Bill Gates and what he's done for the world, and Andrew's on anti-Gates, big Elon guy, saying Elon's going to change the world by far more than Bill Gates when you look back at it, and it's probably going to be true. But I'm not a real like financial whiz, but I I look at Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, maybe not Buffett so much, but especially Gates right now, and it's just sort of like whatever, however many billion dollars he's worth that now he's said, well, I'm going to pledge. I'm When I die, I'm going to give all this away. How about now? How about like you living on two billion for the rest of your life is probably enough. And if you just took that shit and deployed it today, somebody else did that recently. The value that that could provide. They said, who did that? Somebody did that recently. Somebody like really, really, really rich gave up like almost everything. And they were just like, hey, I'll look it up later and post it up. They said the average American, when they spend $100, is the same thing as when Bill Gates spends a million. Mm-hmm. Like wealth comparison there. Yeah. You know what, though? I just thought of something. What's that like royal couple doing up in Canada now? <laughs> they just like, <laughs> no, nobody's heard shit from them. <laughs> how, how happy are they about to Corona? Fly so low under the radar. They're like, yeah. they're like, God damn, this is great. Nobody's talking. Nobody's about paying this attention. Actually, we only had to LA. kill. We only had to kill ninety thousand people. You know, I heard they were in LA. I saw. They, they, yeah, they got yeah, a place in like Beverly Hills or something. Oh, yeah. no more, no more Canada. It's because no they had Canada. to give up their machine guns. Wasn't there an issue with them coming to the United States because they weren't citizens and they had to go to Canada? Whoa, Did I make that up? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm, maybe. It's, it's like, <laughs> no. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> the prince. <laughs> yeah, somebody from the royal family couldn't get citizenship or couldn't or get like, like They couldn't like Breaking come here. Breaking news on like the that. royal family. <laughs> We're out here the, in the front of Prince Harry's house. Oh, I'm sorry. Harry's house. We're here with ICE. Ice, what's, tell us what's going on here. Well, Harry's illegal, and we're kicking him out. Trump told us. <laughs> Trump, Trump told us. No red coats here. I feel like now that I've watched the uh, Netflix show The Crown, I'm an expert at the royal family. <laughs> <laughs> so I got it. I got it. They got to leave. They can't get their allowance anymore. They gave up all the billion dollars worth of land they have. Mm, they probably got an endorsement deal with yeah, like Oprah magazine still. or whatever. But the question I have for you with like disruption <laughs> – since you've obviously given given it's a hard pivot from Meghan Markle to disruption. <laughs> no, because like I'm thinking Prince Harry. Prince Harry was in, he was in the army, right? We're talking about disruption. You think a lot about it. What like what push do you think it's going to take to get people to like react at like given levels? Like level one being like people are just like 
we're going back to work. We don't, like, you guys can keep talking about whether or not we should. We're just going to go back to normal. Like, we're just going to, like, bars are just like, hey, like, you're not going to shut us down. Like, we'll just open. Some bars will be open. Some might not be because, like, people are, like, not supposed to be. Maybe it's a speakeasy thing. Who knows this scenario? And then, like, it gets more aggressive as, like, you have, like, physical conflict, like, unnecessary arrests, push. Like, it could get to that because, like, I see people getting tickets for mountain biking in parks. And it's Mm -hmm. like, are you, like... As, like, a law enforcement officer in the United States, you're going to give somebody a ticket for, look at this guy. you got to check it now. Make sure it's good now. Make sure you take your headphones off, too, or you're going to seatbelt yourself. Is it good? <laughs> if it's messed up, dude, you're calling George Lucas. You're fine. You're fine. Anyway, but you know what I'm saying? Like, what, what do you think it's, because, like, are people getting awoken or woke now or uh, like is there an awakening like is that just like us reading into it like are people disrupted by what's going on like, most of this take. yeah so so i think i understand the question and i'll try to answer it if i don't i tend to it. do that i just <laughs> throw i just <laughs> no, like right. i just there like word no vomit it's, it's just like i'm it, trying to give you like my perspective and I mean, just like basically andrew's saying are people fed up with this shit and they just gonna go back to doing what's their it own gonna thing? take what's it gonna take change for someone else not telling us what to do, and everyone, this whole society as a whole is just going to go back. Thanks. That was Elon. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what it's going to take for everybody to go back. I think people have their breaking point. And if you look at, you know, there's something called Maslow's hierarchy, which um, yes. some people are going to be familiar with. And that's, you know, the base need is security. And then it sort of moves up from there into some more of these intellectual needs and then there's sort of this self-actualization is is up at the top i think people are going to make their decision on how quickly they go back based on that hierarchy of needs where they fall probably the lower like you know up here it's more like luxury Mm -hmm. and as it gets down to you know security shelter Mm -hmm. money provide family food I think those are the break, like the society's break-even points. Do you think people will be proactive on those needs, or do you think it'll be like a, an overnight change? Like, holy shit, we <laughs> need to do something, and then we're like, well, where'd this come from? Like this conflict of some kind. Um, I don't know that I understand the question, but as far as I'm overnight, <laughs> yeah. like as yeah. far as no, I mean, it's, I'm just being honest. As far as over, as far as overnight change, I think the thing to take away from this whole experience is that this is not going to last. Mm. Not just the quarantine, but all of the. The good vibes and the the wokeness that people are having. I mean, that was the whole point of that article that I mentioned about the great gaslighting. It's that uh, in my work, in my methodology, what I talk about is that through my own experiences in life and through the research that I've done, big change done quickly does not last. We're very resilient people. Yeah. Human beings are very resilient as a species. We can twist ourselves to a given situation for a period of time, but then we almost always flex back. The challenge with this is going to be what are you going to take away from this and continue to implement? I think folks that are um, under this belief that they're going to come out of this and I'm going to live my life different, I'm going to do this, I think they'll find very quickly they get crushed under the rigors of the way things are as we get back to got to pay the mortgage, got to do the car payment, banks aren't giving you extensions anymore, nobody's being friendly. I think they're going to find a, re- a rude awakening back into the, the new normal. But what I would urge and what I would encourage people to do is to take one thing and try to implement it as a change. Whether that's you spend an extra half hour with your family in the morning like you might do today. Whether, it, you know, whatever it is, some one thing that you're doing now and make that last. 
because um, a small change done deliberately and consistently is what creates massive benefits, uh, very similar to how stock appreciates uh, over time, like in, in a retirement account, right? That compound interest really does wonders 30, 40 years on. The compound interest in a small change is, is what people need to look for. But when we look around the world for use cases of well, how does change happen? You know, all of a sudden, Uber is a billion dollar company. Well, it wasn't for a really long time. Like all yeah. of a sudden, Netflix is Netflix, but it wasn't for a really long time. Change appears to happen. Everybody looks like an overnight success because nobody televises all the bullshit that it took for them to get to that point where all of a sudden the band got the contract, the actor got the TV show, the business became successful and fully funded. Right? You guys, to some, may appear to be an overnight success, I'm sure. Oh, no. I've I'm, I've said I've been transparent about, like, if you've followed along. I mean, you can go back and, like, the Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't consider – I mean, I don't consider ourselves, like, a success yet. I mean, we're – you know, I, I consider ourselves like in the infancy of a long-term journey, mm -hmm. right? And constantly reevaluating where we can get, get better every single day. Cause we, we mess up every single day. You know what I mean? Like it just, we gotta, we gotta continuously push and push. And maybe I just set the bar high cause I just, we want that ultimate legacy of a company that lasts over time. But I just, I don't know. I don't think we're a success yet. I do, it's not what I consider success. I want to buy an island. Can't buy an island yet. Can you buy an island? No. Andrew wants an attack submarine. Yeah, I want a <laughs> nuclear submarine. <laughs> Can't buy that either. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're talking about Jerry Jones. Like, nobody's going to know where I'm at. <laughs> so I'm going to be like, dive. Something we do, I mean, I've been at this 12 years, grinding, um, learning from other people, continuously going, open, open you know, the company three years ago. Joined forces with Andrew, you know, a while back, and um, I don't think it's success yet. I think we're just starting. I think it's just going. But yeah, you're I mean, right. Look Small at this place. It's I a mean, mess. We got trim not even on the wall. We got we're a, we got a ripped apart dog toy on the floor. We got a wooden samurai sword on the floor over there. We got a grenade on the table. <laughs> it's very humbling, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think we're having a good time though. That, I think we're appreciating it. I think we give a lot of value, and we. Our customers have fun building houses with us, and um, we can just continue that and continue that uptrend. We're definitely ticking upward. But See, I'd argue that makes you a success. One of the things that I've learned throughout all the research that I've done is that we tend to chase this I'll, this concept of I'll be happy when. I can use my own example in sales as I did it. You know, when I got made my first six figures, it was, well, then I want to make the second yeah. and the third and the fourth, and I'll be happy when. And you just habituate. That goes back to the hedonic treadmill. All of a sudden, 200,000 becomes a new normal. Half a million, five million, five billion, uh, an attack submarine. It becomes a new normal, and you don't care anymore. And so really, the value in being success, that I, if I could wave a magic wand and give this to everyone, this belief, because I know that some of your listeners are going, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It is about the money. It is about arriving. It is about buying the house. It's about the process. The journey. It's about the process and who you become as you achieve that first goal and the second goal. I'm not saying don't strive for other things. And it's great to go and get nice stuff and celebrate and do, you know, whatever it is that you want to do that makes you happy. But you're never going to be happy when. You have to decide to shift your perspective and be happy now because of what you're doing and what you're working towards versus that thing that when I finally get this, I'll be happy. There's no. a ton of billionaires that are friggin' miserable. Yeah. You I mean, normally have to pay for this. so you just <laughs> No, this is good. I mean, it's, a, it's a, like we all read the business books, and I don't know where I read it. You can <laughs> – Greg will probably tell – when 
always learned when you focus on the product first, usually income and success will follow, right? So you have to build a good quality product utmost. That's the Or delivery. You have, to deli- you have to deliver a product. You have to deliver a service first. We've always said that, like, as you deliver, for us, our widget is homes. If you deliver good quality homes, more people want you to build homes. You can start charging a little more. You can get a little more margin. You can do cooler shit. You can get better clients. You can get clients with bigger budgets. It just kind of, like, continues to go. Um, but, yeah, it's about the journey because there's also, like, morality checkpoints, like, through the things. Like, man, I, I really don't feel good about, like, where this is going. Let's reset. I don't feel good about, you know, whatever it is. I mean, for me, I just constantly – I don't, you know, reevaluating that. Yeah. Yeah. Your refresh rates on like definitely 22, 21 and three quarter hours. Yeah, for sure. Every day. Like the, when you, when you refresh, it's always like a little bit sooner in the day. Like tomorrow our refresh is going to be like at 1 PM. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I don't You're going to call me up and be like, I'm ready. We're going to start talking about this. Yeah. Like, let's go. Yeah, got to keep. That's keep nice to have uh, around. Yeah, keep changing, keep the momentum going. I mean, what's consistent is the jobs and just how we get there and what we do. And just you know, we got to keep the ideas flowing. I feel like if you just you know, shut the faucet off. I got a I got in a rut. You know, three years ago, two years ago, I got in a rut. Like every day, it was like drive, 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 punch out houses, go work, work, work all day long, and it was like, man, what are we growing to? You know, mm. you kind of forget about that 10,000-foot view, and that's kind of when I met Andrew, and he's like, yo, man, like, we're doing this, we're doing We could do that, and we can also remember what the 10,000 view, you know, where are we going? Like, what's the journey? How are we yeah, getting there? I think that's a struggle. Like, that's the one, besides, like, hiring employees and the whole leadership thing, because leadership's everything. That's what I believe. But secondary to that is, like, if you can't create an environment within your company – that you can dedicate time to developing the future and then get better at that or maybe do it more efficiently or spend more time developing the future. Like there was times or there's probably times for people that are very like maybe a smaller one guy shop. They don't get to, they're they're always working with their hands. They're always focused on today's task. You got to work on the business. So like, I think, yeah, for sure. I think it's important. And what I was good at just when I was by myself without Jonathan, like in the beginning, I would always have to work. And then I'd be like, Oh, I have to spend all this time on the weekend doing all this other paperwork type stuff or, and then I realized I was like, no, I need to set a, set aside specific time each day, or I need to take the time to like not be working to do those things too. And then realize that a 40-hour work week does need to be more, but f- less than 40 hours of my time needs to be working with my hands or doing the business and more so like four to eight, like whatever you grow that into. And like the more I found that I was spending time like actually on the business, things were just like blowing up all over the place that I like the first couple times it happened, like I couldn't really manage it on my own. Um, and then once I got that under control, like I realized I was like, all right, like we need to create a system. Like we still spend a lot of time in the field and that's how we, we prefer it that way. But we do also spend a great deal of time developing like the ideas. Um, because I, it takes a heck of a lot of ideas before we have any good ones. Cause we're not like, we're not Elon Musk. Yeah. That's for sure. I'm setting the world on fire. Yeah. No Tesla's coming out of this shop. 
<laughs> I think that's the ideation process for everyone. What I found is that every successful business is a success because of multiple failures that preceded it. And that's, you know, when some of the work that's coming out of UPenn from people like Angela Duckworth on grit and resilience and why that's important and why that's a more, more, more um, reliable predictor of success than IQ even is because it takes, grit. yeah, it takes a lot of failures to really achieve success. I mean, there's Michael Jordan quotes that we could recite, but uh, one of the most fascinating statistics that I've ever seen on this one topic actually comes out of Nashville, comes out of songwriting. When you look at the most successful songwriters, <clears throat> one thing that they share in common is that they have this project where they call writing for the trash can. Mm -hmm. They write every song as if they're going to throw it out. So not only are they not necessarily emotionally invested in, in the song, but they give themselves permission to come up with an idea that sucks. Come up with a song that's terrible. Because if you don't, you self-edit along the way. Like if you sat here and waited until you had the perfect business idea, you would have done nothing. You'd still be here debating the perfect business <laughs> idea. Instead, you go forward with something, and if it if it fails, it fails. I imagine you course correct pretty quickly. Would you say? Oh no, I for sure. Yeah, I burn it down pretty quick when I realize it's time to burn it down. We uh, yeah. I mean, when we need to read, when you're talking we, about we like the hard, the the fear of failure or the fear of rejection of an idea cripples businesses also the perfection having before you submit or hit send on the email it's perfect or before you send the selection sheet to the homeowner it's perfect mm -hmm. that strive to perfect perfection can actually lock you there's, there's some word for that but it can lock you in like you just you can't get it perfect you just have to accept okay it's good mm -hmm. it's a good effort i gotta move on to the next thing i gotta send that out right so like you can't you can't like, i think all three of those things fear of rejection and failure and having things too perfect kind of all tied together. You just got to go. Mm -hmm. You just say, all right, that is, that is a good quality thing. I spent a lot of time. If I spend any more time to tweak the last one or 2%, it's not worth the time. You got to move on. If only we could share this podcast with people in places in government. We were talking about that before this started. You know, people are afraid to make decisions. God, and when so you look afraid. at legislation, it's got to be perfect or else it can't get out. Well, we got to go back. Just get it out. You know what they're trying to do in the fourth stimulus bill? Here it comes. Um, I, I, Would you like to know what they tried to put in there? Can I guess? Yeah. No. I, let me tell you. I, I'll, I'll let the songbird sing. Go. Okay. They tried to put in there that. Did you get the sources on this first? Off? <laughs> this is a, uh, yeah, I got some sources. All right. this. This, is, this is legit. Just saying because a lot of people listen to this. Yeah. Okay. Supposedly, the source said that they tried to put in the bill that they would accept paper ballots 10 days after the election. Is, if, the, if that doesn't breed voter fraud, I don't know what does. Because hmm. well, if you think about it, all of a sudden they have results. Like you got the Wolf Blitzer on CNN and now projecting Texas to Trump or whatever. I'll extrapolate. Right? And so then what happened was Nancy Pelosi on her legislation for the premier relief bill, which was held up allegedly by the Republicans, contained information about, like, critical voter policy that she wanted to legislate. And some of that information seems a lot like it would be, it would be, like, the, like, the perfect groundwork for a, Big catastrophe of a voter fraud situation. Like, w I'm like, 
when I read through like the actual fine print of everything, and I'm like, how does that like, like nobody sees how out of control this could get? Like the timelines, how long you can vote? Like like some people started sending in videos and like tagging Nancy Pelosi of their mail being stolen. Like this one dude who's um he's like always he's a, he used to be a comedian, he works with um in, in or what's it, Peterson Andrew Peterson uh, the 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 philosopher type guy the oh Derek Peterson no not that guy uh he's like a I'll think of it whatever but I he, know who you're thinking of too yeah yeah Jordan Peterson Jordan, yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's it so he yeah, he was the opener for Jordan Peterson so he's like a comedian like witty guy so he's on Fox and seeing like all these things a lot like he posted like series of times that his mail's been stolen. Like, it gets stolen all the time. That's how bad he's like. He's like, okay, so you want me to send the mail in, and then we're going to say my mail got stolen. I need to vote again. I'm like, there's going to be all this, like, back and forth, and her policies that were, like, she was, like, stone. I think it got through the House, and it went right to the Senate, and it yeah. just died. Yeah, the Senate was, like, somebody... Because, like, I, I, I often wonder, and I... I guess those are government How do you working, read right? all that stuff? How do you, like, how do you, your office writes 400-page document, my office writes 400-page, we copy-paste together, we send it in, like, and that's then a, it gets passed, what, and then somebody signs it, and it's like, and then, like, three weeks later, it's like Joe Rogan's posting, like, oh, my God, like, did anybody see this? Because what got through? And it's like, wait a minute, and you know they're sitting, and they'll be like, yeah, nobody read it this time, and they're all like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I guarantee you. You like, know they're, they're like, like Let's we see definitely if, got that dude, snuck in there. They, they definitely, because, like, wouldn't, like. Wouldn't you? You'd wouldn't be incentivized. You have, you're incentivized, too, because you want to get reelected. How does anybody read all of those documents? They can't. They skim them. They, they speed read. You can't. They have staffers. They have interns and staffers yeah. that they go, give me, like, give, give, like give me a getting paid notes on Either this. free or not getting paid at all. Nah. Or getting paid minimum wage or like directly out of college. And they're like, dude, oh. we're responsible for the legislation that goes in front of this Congress. Right? Mm. Like, think about the staffers reading that. I, okay. The big stand-up well, before, that's you, a, that's a, yeah. <laughs> before you go down that path. The second thing I wanted to touch on for the Pelosi bill, which people are like, you you guys just hate Pelosi, which we've never talked about. So I'll hit you with the second one, which should liberal Democrat, like, I don't care what party you're from. This should be like, what the hell? Part of her policy allows for people to vote without identifying themselves. I think you do that now in some states. No. So like you'll... to register to vote and things like that like there's no verification and she's mandating that like it like no photo id if you get questioned like you're not like so like there's there has yeah, I don't to know be, how many states you actually have to give photo like pennsylvania i don't think you have to give photo id yeah but like certain yeah, places no, you no. just have to be in the register uh the voter and register you have to then compare your signature yeah yeah but that real real photo id was supposed to get rid of that i know now, now you're saying I don't have to. Now she's stonewalled. Real photo, my real license, real ID, because the real ID is like a multi-face, like yeah, it's like a, a I don't know how many point it is, but it's like yeah. a thirty-two point face recognition, and it like allows your your state ID now to be like. So what you're saying is, if that gets in the bill and passed, I don't have to sit in the DMV for a couple hours to get the real ID. They keep pushing yeah, that I off think of that, VA. I think that. I, I'm not an expert in that sense, but I think that could be a like a secondary effect of that. That's great. not the intention, but yeah. That'd be great. They just don't want to be able to verify. Like, yeah. 
Because they know they're like, well, if there is in the question, there's no way for us to go back and verify what you look like to like. Because if they had to do some sort of like hyper check, yeah, they would go back and do it. I don't say they have. I to I feel check like I have to clarify something because when I said staffers are all young in Congress's office, that's probably not true. There's probably a lot of seasoned, like really good chiefs of staff and stuff that are reading the documents. But I'm sure, that's okay. People take people know you didn't mean to hurt their feelings. Yeah, sorry. I guess I'm tr- I'm backtracking I, I said, a little bit. I, dare, dare I say I I said meaningless jobs <laughs> twice in a row. We got on that two podcasts in a row. I was like, what about these people with the meaningless jobs? <laughs> and people, I'm like, your job's not meaningless. I'm just saying it's not as fulfilling. I'm sorry, I'm not like I like yeah. I went down this huge rabbit hole. I'm like, somebody get me out. <laughs> Pull me out. No, they I, let me burn the second. Yeah, time. that is the problem. <laughs> that is the problem with government is everyone's afraid to like be their own entrepreneur inside of a government business. It becomes mm-hmm. this whole massive red tape to get stuff done. I'm trying to build a home in Buckingham, right? And like this is this government on the local level, and I hope they're listening, right? They have a stormwater contract for a homeowner. So it's a single lot. It's, this is this is a guy who's worked his whole life. He works in he works in the uh, no, retail. He yeah, works in the retail. He works in the retail business. He does good. He's like a he's like a regional manager. He's doing a good job. And they throw a stormwater contract in front of him that's made for like a hundred unit site development. It's like, dude. That's a 35-page contract of how you're going to clean out your rain garden from the dead frogs to make sure the thing, like, drains. And in that are these crazy regulations, including having to go get a letter of credit or a tri-party agreement. And it's it makes it impossible to build homes for somebody who's not a multimillionaire and can have, like, a, a, a 2 to $3 million budget for a house in certain townships. I think it is complete bullshit i don't understand yeah, how we they don't, get the fuck we away haven't with that. built any houses like we haven't done any work f- like the nicest work we've done those people worked the hardest yeah out of all the you know what i'm saying so it's like it's people sometimes look at success negatively or they want to like prevent things from getting out of control in this sense like i, no, they, I, I the, the, the home the homers the homers that they work so hard for their money and they find a lot and they find a place they want to go and they have a school go school district and then the local government just rams them in the head and says yep unless you're ready to spend 100 grand to get the attorneys to review it and our engineers to review it and your attorneys to review it and everybody bills each other cuz that's how the system's set up sorry can't build that house you've been dreaming for for your family for all these years like it's it's so fucked up it's it, i don't I understand we could live in the worst state for that in the in the in the country. You go to other you go to other states. It's so much easier. You go in and hey, I want to do that. All right, well, you're not within the boundaries of the edge of the thing. And I think got, I think you're talking about like the South. I'm not talking about the South. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the West. I mean, New Jersey's pretty bad too. While we're talking about it, but, I'm talking about but, the Northeast yeah. corridor. Yeah, right. Northeast corridor. Right. California's not even as as bad, but even the West. The the you know. Nobody, can, I mean, again, there's a lot less population density in most of those states, but they can make it a little simpler. Like, dude, don't let your stormwater discharge past your, your house. You don't need all these, like, I don't know. It's a thing. I think we need to judge. a thing that we can't change. I think we need a Judge Dredd protocol in politics. Right? Remember the movie Judge Dredd? Yeah. Oh Remember God, that, like, when, 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 when the chancellor or whatever what was his name, right? When the, the, the head... Yeah, they just sent him out. The head cop guy was like, you're banished. You go walk the earth. And I think when you get to like the governor or like the executive level, like a, like a, you know, I don't know, uh, definitely president, but probably some other roles in the federal government. I think once you have it, it's like, 
go to Antarctica and like live oh, the rest yeah. of your life. He and, was like, the, I remember the, the plot. He was yeah, the, yeah, chancellor, yeah. the chancellor and chancellor, he made yeah. the poor call. Well, no, with he dread got, because they thought dread killed the one dude. He got set up. Yeah. He got set up. Yeah. So they're like, you put this guy in place. And he was like, I'll leave. No, <laughs> it was it was the only way that they'd spare Judge Dredd's life was in exchange. Uh, whatever the other character's name was, was like, well, look, if you were to resign, we could convince the council to show leniency on him and just let him have a life sentence or whatever. And so I do think there's got to be some sort of like, hey, once you've reached this level, like you're done. You can't work anymore. You can't because you yeah. it just it, there's too much. This hand in this pocket, this hand in the other pocket at every level. And we're, yeah, is. we're talking about and this you before. Lo- yeah, you have lobbyists, yeah. you have lo- you know, you have civil engineer lobby groups, you have lobby groups for everything. Right? There's lobby groups for these water bottles we have on the table. There's lobby groups for the the computers we have, right? To make sure that their stuff gets ahead of everybody else's stuff. It's a it's a pay to play game. But if you told somebody who was just like from another country and he said, Read our constitution, take a look at it, and then you s- describe the scenario that you may own ten acres somewhere in America and they tell you that you can't build a house because it's too close to like a little bit of a wet part on your lot. They would look at you like you're crazy. Like what, what do you mean? What happened to the constitution? It says, you know, you need properties, your property, you can do what you want on your property. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like everything's gotten, maybe this is the major reset we need. Well, as we talk about change, I mean, that's one of the things that, that folks, um, I forget who the consultant was. I was having a conversation with the other day. She said, what people are experiencing some people, is, is actually a grieving process because what's happened is, is there's this mm. death of certainty. Yeah. We all felt pretty damn certain that we'd always be okay, that we'd always be doing all right, and this has really tested that belief. And, and if we tie that back into sort of the, the, the politics, I mean, so many of my friends over the last several years, whenever you get involved in some sort of discussion about politics, they go, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Everything will work out. And I think what we're seeing is that that attitude over the last 20, maybe 30 years of municipal elections feeding into state, into federal elections. Like, we're at a point where we, I think you have to agree, whatever side of the aisle you're on, probably 50 to 60% of the people in high elected office really don't care about getting stuff done so long as they're okay. And they're not working for us. Yeah. Generally, as a country. Power is money, and, and, you know, power is the money. Yeah, we've all seen Scarface. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> maybe this is the, the the big change for the country that's going to come. Like people are going to wake up and be like, Whoa, "What do you mean?" Like, I think it's going to go Sylvester Stallone movie reference number two, Demolition Man, Demolition Man, <laughs> three seashells. I think, like, I think he doesn't know what the seashells are for. He doesn't know what to do with the seashells. Have you ever seen Demolition Man? I'm completely clueless. It's oh, dystopian man. future. They basically purify society, no more handshakes, everything's vanity clean, nobody drives cars anymore, no more guns, like everybody's like, salutations. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, there's like this underground culture that's being suppressed, and like they come out like, it's a whole thing, it's like the, the unclean, and they're like, everybody thinks they're these terrorists, but they're really just like these people that are just trying to live like... America and they have like rat burgers and stuff like they're still like we're allowed to have red meat and they're like yeah it's red it's a rat and they're like oh shit like we're doing our best like yeah I mean so it's I I think people are trying to be more clean wash your hands and then I think people will forget I was saying to him the other day I was like what if Kobe Bryant died this week you know what I'm saying Mm. like would that have been impactful enough to like Shut down Corona for a week. I don't know. Supposedly, Joe. Like, Biden, would people yeah. have gone to Kobe's funeral? 
You bet your ass they would have been. You're right. What do you think? Yeah, what what catalyst would it take for everyone to forget about COVID? Jordan. Because if you didn't watch the news and you weren't a doctor, very little of us would have any experience with the with the coronavirus. Yeah, I've cut down so much. Yeah. Just gonna I've cut just that like out. I've just been like, you know what? It's kind of exhausting. It's the same thing every day. If it's important enough, it'll cross my desk. What do you think they did back in when the Spanish flu in nineteen eighteen? Like they had no clue it was coming. There's no, no internet, news station. No, no internet. Time, no, no. No. All of a sudden, like, people started dropping in the streets. Like, oh, there's something here. Right? But it was too late at that point. And who, who died, died. And who didn't die, didn't die. Right? Yeah, but even, now, we saw it coming, now we saw it coming months you know, from China. We literally saw it come across or wherever it came from. I think we just – we also – I don't know what it's like other places. Maybe it's different. I'd like to think it's different. I'd like to think America is just – The what's like, different? Like the 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 sentiment around the co the corona corona nation is what we call it. Like everybody here is very like inflamed by it. Like it's become I very politicized. I like I don't think it's being politicized other places. Like some places it seems like everybody's just it's cracked down or nothing. Or in some places yes. it's like anything's going and then other people places it's politicized, but here it's very like there's two sides. The two sides have their opinions. Like everybody's taking sides, and it's, there's no need to take any sides here. Well, it's here. Be safe. Go about your like. You know what I'm saying? Like, but like everybody's taking sides. But you look like you, I think you're talking about the difference between, let's say, like Spain, Denmark, Sweden. Like they all took different approaches. But if you took those countries and placed them in America, they would be like the Northeast, the West. The central, like we we are such a vast country, and people tend to congregate to like views, and it happens from state to state. You know, you may take a state like New York, which is you know I don't know, it could be the size of Sweden or amount of people of Sweden probably, right? And like they took extreme Sweets. lockdown measures or whatever, right? So like I think it just because our country is so big, we have so many differing opinions. But I think that. The, I think we should allow we should instead of being threatened by that i think we should embrace more than two opinions is what i'm saying like we should like embrace the states yeah. the the environment we have is awesome we have multiple places where everything is different you got different environments yeah, awesome. nature wise idea wise weeds legal here we'll put you in jail if you come with the weed here like if you get caught with weed, probably in somewhere like Alabama, they'll probably lock you up still. You're driving to New Jersey with something in your car, and all of a sudden you're a felon, right? Yeah, like all of a sudden you're rolling around with the Glock and the glove box, and you find yourself going across a little bridge in New Hope. And didn't realize it. And you're like, oh, shit, I could do 15 years right now. Like, you know how many rednecks we know who accidentally crossed the bridge and been like, oh, shit, my gun's in the car. Like, dinner's canceled. We're going back across. The, <laughs> we're going to Havana's in New Hope. Like, we're, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, how many people do you think have canceled dinner at the Lamberville Station just because they're like, oh, my, dude, my gun's in the car, honey? We're going to Havana. It's like, yeah. but like, they should have why? their lobbyists look into that. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Somebody else's fight. I don't know if the Lambert villain has a lobbyist. <laughs> Dude, they, they might. You don't know. <laughs> Could be some rich ownership that we don't know about. <laughs> it's amazing because, you know, it just amplifies that what's different from state to state. But when you cross from Pennsylvania into Jersey, you enter a whole nother Ooh, realm not of, make that mistake. of building, mm-hmm. building like processes, government processes, the school system, the taxes are much higher. Like DUIs treated differently. Yeah, everything's yeah. treated completely differently. And you're just one little river away but it's a river of population like you have you know you have new hope and lambertville you have frenchtown like 
it's not like you have to go inland a ways to get to mm-hmm. that. It's just boom, right there. Yeah, so, like, the one thing that I would be happy to promote would be, like, states' rights seems very aggressive. But, like, maybe people should be, be like, hey, the, the federal government, like, if we can affect this by dictating what's happening in our state. We can't really, like, you're never getting Trump to retweet you and, like, comment on what you're saying. Like, despite what some of you guys think, like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, why can't we have, like, different states? Like, it seems like every we, we are just, like, somebody or some energy is, like, trying to group us all into, like, this one decisive controlled faction. And, like, what you're seeing That's is, like, like, the governors are, like, Eh, now there's a piece of paper over here that says we don't have to listen to you. So and come I, on over, think, or we don't give a shit. Yeah, and, like, the pre- and the president, the president's been pretty consistent that. But what if he wasn't in office and somebody that was like anti that was in office? We'd probably and be in a lot worse situation than we are in now. That's what I'm saying. Like, so Don is like I don't agree with a lot of what he, like. It, Call him Don. Yeah, Don. Did he do that? <laughs> yeah, you were on first hey, name. Don, dude, he's Don, dude. He's not. He's not. He's not. Barack Obama, president, he's Don. Like, Don, Don Trump. Yo, he's hey, Don. Don. Yo, Don. Like, everybody's like, yo, he's not presidential. You're right. He's Don. It's Don. Like, you, ex- you you get surprised by the stuff he does every day, but it's like, yo, the cat shit in the litter box, all right? Like, what's the surprise in that? But I do think, like, there are some positives of having in there, and one of the things is, like, it's seemingly worked out that, like, he's like, you know what? Yeah, governors, you're like... He, he tried to say one thing to them, and they were like, nah. And he was like, all right, you're right. Yeah, you're right. He's getting a lot of pressure. But, like, if Nancy but, but, Pelosi were president, she would have – I don't know. I don't like to get involved in that. Whole thing, but like, she, she might have a better makeup artist? She might have had a tantrum and ripped up some papers and, like, and like maybe caused a big enough scene where, like, something more drastic <gasps> happened. Like She could have ripped up the like, Constitution. Not, and that's just because she's closer to that job. Like, I'm not using her because yeah. I have any agenda. That's twice now you well, I think the under she's just like if, if she's third in line for president. The underlying issue that I think you're really highlighting is that there's just a tremendous polarization. Although we're one country, there's such deep seated feelings of uh, discontent, feeling like we're underrepresented or misrepresented. You know, one side believes that the other side is out to get them. I mean, it's a it's a very us versus them mentality depending on what style of government you believe in or, or sort of where mm. you fall in a business know. standpoint. Yeah. And, and It does and feel that way. That is, that is probably the, you know, the scariest thing is that that feeling isn't how it really is when you talk to other people. We're all more central than we, like, but you know what I mean? We're all just reasonable human beings that just want you to do well, you to do well. Like, we don't, like, none of us, I don't think, really want to get into these larger agendas or have time for that. Like, that's why I was saying to you before the podcast, like, the government's gotten so large. Like, they're worrying about things that just, like, nobody should be worrying about. Like, we should be reacting to people's ideas and being like, okay, these are free thoughts. Like, good for you. Like, that's why people aren't making decisions or aren't, like, there's no movement forward because everybody stonewalls other people's decisions from happening or they stonewall themselves from making decisions because they're afraid of getting attacked. So you said earlier that everyone's got a voice yeah, right they now, do. especially because of the internet. And right. I think that exacerbates this problem that when you sit down one-on-one with most anybody you meet, you generally have quite a lot of things in common. And it really isn't as polarizing a difference where you do disagree. It, it for most people. Agreed. Most of news, TV, 
government officials, the way they get your attention is by playing on the psychology of we're more hardwired to pay attention to things that are dangerous to us than to things that could potentially cause us to, to grow or to gain. Mm-hmm. So most people will make a decision to avoid losing $10, but they wouldn't make a, a similar decision to exert effort to gain $10. That's just <laughs> kind of how people operate. And there's tons of studies and examples um, and experiments that will show you that when they couch the same statement of, <clears throat> and I'm going to botch it, but it's basically, if you knew that there were a 60% chance of 100 people dying, or you could do nothing and there was a this percent chance of people living, what would you do? And people make a decision. And then if you couch it the totally opposite way, you, if you do this, 40% of people could live. But if you do this, 20% of people could live. People make a totally different decision based on how the problem is presented to them. All information is being presented in, in a way that, gar- that, that, that gets attention. And that's the scare tactic. It's that everybody's polarized. It's that we're all out to get each other. It's us versus them. So, so the I question, guess the, the whole question is takeaway. why. The question is... Why are they doing yeah. that? And where's the ultimate agenda for that? Because I agree with you. We're all much more central politically based than they make it out to. Yes, people, there are extreme issues like abortion is an extreme issue. Gun rights is an extreme issue. Like there's certain issues that are extreme. I would say polarizing. Polarizing. But out of 100 issues, 90 of them are much more centered. And we're much closer to those 90 it's like, yeah, farther we, apart on yeah the we want good schools. Yeah, it's we want <laughs> to like help no people brainer. who it's need like, help. Yeah, we like, need firehouses. Yeah, we need There ambulance. are poor people that need help. Like, they're less fortunate. Poor people. I they guess the help. ultimate takeaway from, like, everything we've talked about would be that you need to realize that, like, the information that's being presented to you, like, you need to choose how to digest that. And how to react. And how to react. You're to not, not like to not react, but to respond. Respond. That, okay. yeah, respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Respond. To respond and you like you were saying, kind of full circle goes back to you can kind of control your own destiny. We just have to all remember that. Like we mm-hmm. are all control of what we do. And if you wanna if you have a business and you wanna open up, open up. Right? That's what I'm saying. Like they're not there's no barbershop police. The only thing they say is they'll take their barber's license away. Then my question is, why the hell do you need a barber's license? You give 10 bad haircuts, you're probably not giving many more haircuts. What do you need a barber's license for? And that goes back to why do you need a lot of licenses, right? I guess it's protecting the masses, right? But what do you need? Someone has to explain to me why you need a barber's license. What do they say about signs? Like, they say for every sign, like, don't climb on this fence. There's, like, a story behind it of someone that got, you know, killed or injured or hurt. I mean, there's, there, there are always good intentions, I think, for a lot of these things. And, and the first thing that sticks out to me is a lot of, like, speed legislation. It, it seems that once a law is in place, kind of like a judge, like, yeah. at a federal level, once, it, once a judge is there, they're there. Like, that's yeah. kind of it. I feel like for us uh, in our society, once laws are there, they're kind of there. And I feel like we would do very well to have... Someone that kind of goes through like a reasonable committee that just their their only job is to go through and be like, yeah, this is stupid. We're done with this. this the reasonability committee. They actually yeah. started. <laughs> you, you heard that a lot back in the. That'd be a great podcast. It's like if you were in Wyoming and you tied your horse up to the yeah, bar, you yeah, went to jail. Yeah. And they're like, we probably don't need that law anymore. And they got rid of it. And they actually reduced like the amount of laws and, and, and ordinances and citations. And they completely like cut them down. But maybe someone needs to Dude, go through all this crap and just like cut all this idea. shit out. Be right. They're, they're, they're stupid. We're probably breaking the law now. We don't even know about it. But who's going to enforce it? 
Ready for a T-shirt. Greg looks around. <laughs> He's like, what are, what, are, what are we doing? What are we doing here? T-shirt idea. We'll end this on a T-shirt idea. The f- like the forefathers just like leaning back. Reasonability committee. That's it. That's it. Because like honestly, I think. That, that's what it was. The, r- the road to hell is paved in with good intentions. And I think like if that holds true, pave less road. Like pave slower, and the, and right? The, and is that it? Seems stupid, but if you like, if you're paving so many miles an hour and like you're going to hell, well, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's like While make a little about decision. Paving, can I? Air, can I? Air, in the in the, yeah. in the in the in in honor of uh, um, what's his name who just died? Not Jerry Seinfeld. What, uh, Kobe? Uh, no, no, no. His his uh, uh, Stiller, Jerry Stiller. Oh, Jerry. Stiller. In honor of Jerry Stiller, I'd like to air a grievance, and that's that we've been shut down for sixty days, and the day that the Governor Wolf said. You were going to reopen car dealerships and start to let people out. Then PennDOT shows up to start doing road work. You had 40 days Dude, of nobody on the road. Exactly. Why are we not working 24 hours a day paving shit? They could shit? have paved the Circle River Absurd. into Philadelphia. The one chance Absurd. in history. Well, that's what you said. China built factories. We have potholes. China built, so this is a fun, a fun story. In Boston, there's the Charles Bridge, right? Charles River Bridge. Um, in China, there's a bridge that's about one and a half to two times that size. Charles River Bridge is something like $30 billion over budget and projected to be fixed, I think, in like another four years. China built that bridge in four days. Yeah, but China four also days. built they, entire cities yeah. that are fucking vacant. Yeah, but they built They them. have empty cities because you know why ready. they did that? They calculate their GDP different than us. Huh. So when we, like, we build a house and sell the house, addition to GDP, they pay for construction to be built positive GDP. They don't actually have to sell anything for it to be positive for their account huh. calculated in their account. So what happens when you can control how the numbers are counted? Yeah. It's interesting. Boom. All oh. right, Greg, thanks for coming in. Pleasure to be here, guys. <laughs> so this was Greg <laughs> Hoffner, previously the dueling pianist. If you're looking for a keynote speaker to disrupt your company, give him a shout.